as the children are making their way out, uh, we're going to start something today, and some of you have already kind of bought into it. We're going to provide outlines uh, for the sermons. So each week, today onward, there will be outlines. It's going to be kind of fill in the blank. And uh, so they're going to be on the little stands each Sunday as you come in and as well as the foyer. And so if you didn't get one this morning, that's all right. There'll be some after you leave and uh, we'll be glad to make sure you get the, the uh, right words in each of those slots. But it's a way of, uh, for you to maybe to keep some records, some notes and something you might want to tell some people, share with some people. And, and keep uh, from time to time. I've had people through the years, I've been doing this many, many years, and people have a whole stack of these outlines and refer to them from time to time when they're teaching Sunday school or have a special devotion they need to give. And so they uh, have these outlines. So I hope that you may take advantage of it. Today we're beginning a new series called Destination Heaven. Destination Heaven. As Christians, we ought to be interested in heaven. We ought to be asking the question, what, what is heaven like? What is heaven like? When I've, I've asked people uh, that question from time to time, what do you think heaven is like? And it's amazing how they come up with some descriptive words. They say, oh, heaven is beautiful, and heaven is wonderful, and heaven is paradise. And usually it is something very simple, just a, a few words like that. Well, let me ask you a, a question. Think with me for a moment. If you're going on vacation to someplace special, let's say you're going to Hawaii, or you're going to the Bahamas, or you're going to St. Thomas Island, um, or to Nassau, or to some other place, maybe outside of the, of the 48 states, and you're going someplace, or maybe traveling internationally and going to some special place. And you uh, had a travel agent. The travel agent made sure, is making sure that you have your flight, make sure you have accommodations, and, and take care of a few of those necessities. But after they've taken care of that necessities, you decide you're going to Google that place. Let's, let's take Hawaii. You're going to Google Hawaii because you want to know more about Hawaii. And so you Google Hawaii. And there are three words, beautiful, wonderful, paradise. Would, would you accept that? Would, would that be enough for you? I hope that wouldn't be enough for you. And yet for many Christians, that's how it is. When they think of heaven, they oh, it's going to be a beautiful place. It's going to be a wonderful place. It's going to be like paradise. Folks, we ought to have more information about heaven than that. Too many Christians are ignorant about heaven. And we ought to want to know more about heaven. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, No eye has seen, no ear heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And often we stop right there and we think, okay, we can't really know a whole lot about heaven. But I want you to look at verse 10 in that passage. It says, But God hath revealed it to us by his grace. God has revealed it to us by His grace. Those things that maybe we can't think of, that we can't see, that we may not be able to imagine, the Word of God has a lot to offer us about heaven. Now, I, I will admit, it's not going to answer all of our questions about heaven, but it is going to help us to understand more about heaven than maybe that we have ever known before about scriptures and maybe get rid of some of the myths that we have about, God's, uh, about heaven and look to God's word for the answers to that. The, the word heaven is mentioned over 600 times in the Bible. Over 600 times. Jesus uses the word heaven 70 times just in the book of Matthew. 54 out of the 66 
books of the Bible mention heaven. So we're going to be looking at, we're going to be answering some questions like this. Do babies go to heaven? Do I become an angel in heaven? Are we married in heaven? Uh, what kind of body will we have in heaven? And what will we be doing in heaven? Next Sunday, we're going to answer this question. What happens when a person dies? What happens when a person dies? I love what David Jeremiah had to say. He said, heaven is no figment of the imagination. Nor is it a feeling, a state of mind, or the inv invention of man. Heaven is a literal place prepared by Christ for prepared people. So as we look at our outline this morning, let's begin with a statement. They're going to have two questions, and the statement is this. Heaven is real. Heaven is real. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, we pray, Our Father to art in heaven. That's part of our Lord's prayer that we pray and as we share in, in, in praying to God, we recognize that it's our God who art in heaven. In Genesis chapter 1, 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Heaven was built by God, constructed by God. Genesis 14, 12, Abraham said, God most high, creator of heaven. And then in John 14, if you'll open up that passage with me, John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, we see the most definitive description of what heaven is a definition about heaven that i want you to see and let me give you a little bit of background while you're looking up john chapter 14 in chapter 13 jesus has had the passover meal with his disciples and he said one of the one of you is going to betray me and then that's when we find judas leaving and he institutes the lord's uh, lord's supper and the disciples are now concerned because during this conversation, they're worried if they might be that one that's, that, that, that is going to betray Jesus. And then Jesus talks about leaving. And so now they're getting upset that Jesus is going to leave, that Jesus is going to die. And they're wondering about themselves. How are we going to survive? What, what's going to be the movement? Uh, is it going to survive, this movement that Jesus has started? Jesus is also troubled. His spirit's troubled. He knows just within hours he's going to be betrayed. He knows that he is going to be uh, beaten. He's going to be scourged. He's going to the cross the next day. So all this is going on. Everyone is troubled. And so what does Jesus do in John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Yet believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. You heard us singing that today. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have not told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Here in Jesus' own language, he describes a real location. And let me help you see it in three ways. First of all, notice in verses 2, 3, and 4, he uses the word place. I'm going to prepare a place for you. That word place in the Greek is topos. We get our word topography from it. And when you study the, the, the ground, as you study an area, you, 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 you kind of study the, the details of what the land is like. That's the word here for topos. 
is the idea of a place that is inhabited, a, a locale, maybe a city, maybe a region. It can also mean a habitat. It can mean uh, a particular house or maybe in room. So here Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He does it three times. But he also goes on to say in, in another way. Number two, he says, in my father's house are many dwellings, are many rooms. That Greek word speaks about a particular room, particular house, a particular setting, a particular habitat as well. It just takes a little different view of it. Let me describe it this way. When we came to Pravel 32 years ago, we lived in an apartment for a little while until our house sold in Enterprise. We bought some property and then we were able to start building a house. So we've been in our house now a little over 30 years. And so when we moved into the house, as we uh, were working out the plans, and Arlen and I were agreeing what the plans, how the house to be laid out, we want to make sure that, that made sure the kids all had their bedroom. We had our bedroom, and Carla had hers, Kristen had hers, and Brent, our son, who we had left Enterprise to go to college, and uh, junior college, and then on to Auburn, we had a, a room for him. But his was the smallest room. And the reason is we knew one day he was going to leave and he probably wouldn't come back, so I want to make that to my office eventually. And even to this day, we refer to Carla's room. That's Carla's room. Arlinda has certain things in Carla's room in the closet. There's Kristen's room. And in and, and Kristen's closet, there are certain things that Arlinda has. Now, I have the office, Brent's room. We don't call it Brent's room. We just call it my office. Also, I have a permanent roommate in my office. It's called an ironing board. All right? It's always, it's always up, that little ironing board that we have, because we still iron a few things at our house. And so that's, that's my, my room, my uh, dwelling place a lot, that little office that I have. Now, think with me about this. When the kids were all at home, three bedrooms for them in our bedroom, four bedrooms, that was our dwelling place. That was our room, the same word that is described here. Jesus is saying, I am gone, I'm going back to heaven, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. I, in my Father's house, I'm constructing rooms for you all. I'm building a dwelling place. The largest construction project, taking longer than any in all of human history, is being constructed right now for you and me. There's also a third way of understanding that heaven is real, that it is a location is found in the fact that he says, I am going in verse 2. I am going. And in verse 3, he repeats, repeats that, I am going. And he's going to a particular place. Uh, listen, heaven is not a state of mind. It is a place. And if this isn't enough for you, listen to this in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Men of Galilee... The angel said, why, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, Arlinda and I have had a chance to be in the Holy Lands for, for five different trips. We've been to the Mount of Olives, right where it says Jesus ascended. The Bible says he's going to uh, descend at the beginning of the, right before the, uh, the, the, the seven years of tribulation, what we call the rapture of the church. And just as there was this locale of, called the Mount of Olives, and a beautiful place it is, he's ascending, 
and did ascend, he's going to descend. Another understanding, he's ascending to heaven and he will descend from heaven to be back here on earth. Now, before we go to, the, to this next point, I want you to understand something about Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens, plural, and the earth, singular. Now, what's that about? Well, the Bible says there are three heavens. There are three heavens. The first heaven is when you go out and if the clouds break, you're, you not only see clouds, maybe we'll see a little sun today, and maybe we'll see some birds, and maybe we'll see a plane fly over. That's the first heaven. The scripture tells us in Genesis 1.20, And God said, Let the birds fly above the earth across the vast expanse of the heavens. That's your first heaven. And then the second heaven is what we call outer space. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 17, we're reminded that God created the sun and the moon, and the scripture says that he set them into the expanse into heaven to give us light on the earth. That's our second heaven. And the Bible says there is a third heaven, and the third heaven is the dwelling place of God. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 and 4. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Verse 14, I was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. The Apostle Paul had a vision of some sort where he was able to peer into the third heaven to the dwelling place of God. Now, he wasn't allowed to say very much about it. He said it's indescribable. But God wouldn't let him say a whole lot about this experience. And we'll talk about that in, in weeks to come. But rest assured, Paul got to peer into the third heaven. That's the dwelling place of God. Heaven is for real. Now, as we think about heaven being for real then we understand this. The first heaven we see by day. The second heaven we see by night. The third heaven we see by faith. Heaven was built by God. He's the builder. He's the architect. Now this begs the question, and this is our second point, and that is, where is heaven? Where is heaven? Well, let's go back to John chapter 14, and let's pick up again, beginning at verse 4, reading through verse 6. You know the way to the place where I am going. Now, they should have known. The disciples should have known. They should have known where, and they should have known the way. Jesus had made it pretty clear about all of that. But notice in verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? We don't know where heaven is and we don't know the way to heaven. Now again, they should have known. So Jesus responds in verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, on our telephones, we have GPSs now. We can, we can type in an address. We can, on that app, gives us directions to where we need to go. And if you make a wrong turn, 
Uh, what does, uh, most of the time, what, was, what does the, the woman say on the telephone if you have a woman on your telephone? Or Linda claims she's my girlfriend. All of a sudden, I may, that phone may be right there by my leg, and somehow it presses, and this woman starts talking to me. She says, who is that? I said, that's my girlfriend. I didn't want you to know. But anyway, the GPS, what does the GPS do? It recalculates. It recalculates. It, it, it helps you get back on course. That's what verse 6 is. Verse 6 is nothing but the GPS, Jesus himself, recalculating and helping these disciples understand that the place I want you to go is heaven, and this is how you're going to get there. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. So where is heaven? Heaven is up. Heaven is up. There are a number of scriptures that helps us understand that. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, you remember the story about Lucifer. Lucifer was an angel of light. He was the number one angel, but he decided he wanted to rebel. He wanted to be God. And in Isaiah chapter 14, verse, verse uh, 12, it, it speaks about this very thing. It talks about the fact that Satan wanted to be higher. He wanted to be lifted up. And so as he was being, uh, wanting this, he wanted to be above the stars. He wanted to be above God. He wanted to take the place of God. And his description is that heaven is up. In Deuteronomy 26, 15, Moses said, God, he looked down from heaven. He looked down from his holy dwelling place. Deuteronomy 26, 15. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I just read verse 11 to you a moment ago. But here the disciples, as Jesus is ascending, they are looking up. And as they are looking up into the sky, in verse 11, the angel said, Why are you looking into the sky? He has been taken up into heaven, and he will descend from heaven. Heaven is up. And then the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4.10, He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. Folks, the scripture makes it very clear that the dwelling place of God is up. It is in a whole different realm than what we understand right now, but it is out there. It is up. I liken it, and I've used the illustration sometimes, of a woman who has the baby in her womb. All that baby knows at this moment is the womb. That's all it knows. It's in that dark place and the amniotic fluid and it's attached to its mother through the umbilical cord. That's all it knows is that existence. But one day, that baby is going to be born and it's going to come forth from the womb and it's going to come to a world that it didn't know ever existed. But it's just as real, even though it was the baby was in the womb. So it is for you and me. We're kind of in the womb of this world, but one day we're going to be bursting out of this at death in the very presence of God. The Bible says that place is up. Where God is, it is out there someplace, it is up. Now, when, again, when we are in the Holy Lands, we are often told by our guides at various places and we see where temples have been built. We see where altars have been built. And they're always on hills. They're always on mountains. And there's a reason. 
Even with the false religions and the false gods, they're always looking up. And why was the temple built where it was on Mount Moriah? Because it was up from the rest of Jerusalem at that particular time. And so when we think of heaven, we think of up. Why do we have a steeple? Why is there a steeple on our church? Because it's pointing up. It's pointing up to God. It's pointing up to heaven. That's why we have steeples. And so that it reminds us that our God is up there and out there. Now, let's move on to the third question. What benefit does this have for us? What's, why focus on heaven? Why focus on heaven? If, if heaven is our destination, what difference should it make in our lives right now? Listen to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts or your affections on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, often this verse is misunderstood by some people. And they say, well, you know, you can be so, um, so heavenly-minded, you're no earthly good. That's where this phrase kind of comes from, is those people that give more attention to, to heaven and spiritual things than they do things here on earth. No, there's supposed to be a balance. There's supposed to be the, what is the priority of our life? Our priority is the things of God. Set your affection, set your heart, set your mind on the things of God. But it doesn't mean that you're not supposed to take care of your responsibilities here. We take care of our responsibilities. We're just not so be, so be overtaken by the things of this world. It detracts from the priority of our walk with God. But it is a reminder, set your mind on things above, set your heart on things above. There's a benefit. There's a benefit from thinking about heaven. When we have this series that we're about to go through, what we're about to go through, I'm not here to answer your questions curiosity questions about heaven yes there are many curious questions that we have we'll try to answer some of those but the purpose of the of this uh, of this series is not just to answer natural curiosity it's to show the difference what we should know about heaven can make in your life day by day so there are four benefits, and I'm going to give credit to uh, Robert Jeffers, Pastor First Dallas, for a few of these because there are some wonderful things that he has said about it, and I want to share that and my interpretation of some of these things and some information I have. First of all, we focus on heaven because, li because life is brief. Life is brief. Think about it with me, how, how brief life can be. It, we, we need to be reminded of the inevitability of death itself. I had an opportunity about two years ago to speak at the um, Alabama Army National Guard headquarters during one of their National Day of Prayer emphasis. And I was mindful of the fact, and having been, mil been around military like most of us all of our, of our life, have been close to military bases. Um, I grew up in, in Homestead, Homestead Air Force Base, and and, and then uh, in Pensacola, the, the air base there at Eglint, as well as uh, the naval base, Fort Rucker and Enterprise, and of course Maxwell here. And, and, and all of these places, talking with soldiers, getting to know soldiers, while they prepare for battle, while they're preparing their part in case of times of war and conflict, there's always in the back of their minds that there could be death, that they could experience death. 
And just like those 13 soldiers that lost their lives a few weeks ago in Kabul, maybe they weren't thinking about it at that particular moment, but they knew they were risking their lives as anyone who is in a war zone, a terror zone. We, we need to be mindful of that. This past Friday, uh, the, the, the father-in-law of my ministry assistant, she was with me for over 23 years in travel, her father-in-law on his birthday found out he had a terminal illness. On his birthday, a terminal illness. And, and recognizing again that life is brief. And though he had lived a long time, life is still brief. We go along sometimes, and I, I think we get so caught up in life itself that we forget how vulnerable that we are. And because that we get caught up in life, we forget heaven and forget that we need to be prepared for heaven and we need to have some thoughts about heaven because this world is a, that we live here is a very short time compared to all eternity. We have to prepare ourselves for this probability of death. Job chapter 14 verse 5 said a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. Our days have been predetermined. You can't live past them. And thank God we don't know what day that will be. But we thank God the fact that he is with us during this time. John 4, 4.14 Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? For what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. James wasn't trying to discourage people. He's trying to wake them up, shake them up a little bit to the reality of death. Your life is like a mist. And it's here one day, it's gone the next. Peter said in 1 Peter 1.24, For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the, and the flowers fall. It's just a reminder that life is brief, and it should motivate us and in this case, it should motivate us to know more about heaven, which is going to be our eternal home. In Psalm 90, verse 12, Moses said this. I know sometimes we, we hear David and the Psalms. David didn't write all the Psalms. In Psalm 90, we actually have a Psalm written by Moses. And Moses says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of freedom. Help us to number our days, that we might have this freedom, that we might have this wisdom to live out the days you have for us. In Psalm 39, verses 4 and 5, it says, Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. Again, life is short. I want you to think with me up here on this back wall. If you can picture a little dot right over here on this end of our platform on this back wall. And then from the dot, if you will just begin to draw a line all the way across this platform, all across this back wall. Start with the little dot, use your imagination, and stretch all the way across this back wall. That dot represents the time that you live on earth. Every one of us is living inside of that dot right now. Every one of us. And the line represents the moment of death and is a representative of eternity, which that line will go on and on and on to infinity. But the dot represents your life right now. 
So here is the wisdom you need to hear. It is foolish to live your life just for that dot. It's foolish to live your life just for the dot. We are to live in the dot, but we are to live for eternity. We are to live for the line. That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. Yes, we are confined to the dot. That's life. That's existence. But we are to live knowing that we're going to be in eternity. And the dot is just momentary for us. So life is brief. We have to recognize that. And we are told, keep eternity in mind. Number two, why do we focus on heaven? Because judgment is certain. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. Romans chapter 14, verses 10, 11, and 12. We're reminded that we're going to be facing judgment. And one day we will give ourselves an account before God. We're going to have to account for how we lived this life. And that is Christians and non-Christians as well. In Revelation chapter 20, it's described what we call the great white throne judgment of God, where non-Christians are going to have to come before God. Guess what? Right now, when a non-Christian dies, a, a, a person that's not a Christ follower, they're in a place called hell, kind of a temporary holding place right now. And they're going to be resurrected out of that after the thousand-year reign, thousand reign of Christ, what we call the great right throne of judgment of God. And that's in Revelation 20. For you and me as Christians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, describes the judgment seat of Christ. And where you and I will uh, be judged based on how we lived for Jesus Christ. And we'll receive our commendations and we'll receive our rewards at that time. But rest assured, the Bible says we'll all give an account. Why do we focus on heaven? Because there's going to be a judgment day. And there is a life that needs to be lived in a way that we will receive commendations and rewards at that time. There's a third reason why we focus on heaven. And that is the fact that we, will, uh, we need to let heaven motivate us to live pure lives. Because heaven helps motivate us to live pure eyes. We need to keep our eyes focused so that we leave, live pure, clean lives. 2 Peter chapter 3. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? Now, Peter's just described that this earth is going to be destroyed by fire. So what kind of people should we be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Peter's reminding us this world will be destroyed. It'll be destroyed by fire. And so in light of that, what, are, what do we need to be doing right now? Live holy and righteous lives. God wants us to be pure when we come into his presence. In the book of Acts, we read about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, one of the original deacons we talked about last Sunday morning. And here he's gone before the Sanhedrin, he's preaching, and at the end they decide they're going to stone him. And when he died, he's looking to heaven, he's saying, Father, forgive them, just like Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so he enters into heaven unashamedly. But just a chapter or two back, I think it's Acts chapter 5, there's Ananias and Sapphira. They, they were Christians, but they lied to the Holy Spirit about giving to the church. They made a promise, 
and it was public, and they didn't keep it, they lied about it. And as a demonstration of the seriousness of making commitments to God and making them public, Ananias and Sapphira died. They went to heaven, but they entered with great shame because of that sin. In the same way, God wants us to live pure lives. He wants us now. So we'll be unblemished as we come into eternity. And the last reason we focus on heaven is because heaven places suffering in perspective. It places suffering in perspective. I'm often asked, why did God allow this? Why has he allowed the pandemic? Why has he allowed terminal illness? Why does he allow accidents? Why does he allow people to lose their job? We could go on and on. Divorce and just on and on. Abuse of the innocent. On and on we could go about why God allows various things. Don't be surprised if you don't get a full answer from God. But what you are promised by God is this. That we have the hope of heaven. And it will place your suffering in perspective because of it. Listen to what Paul had to say, one of the great passages that I use in funeral services. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, meaning we don't grow weary. Though outwardly we are wasting away. I used to tease our senior adults for many, many years and about various things. And I have this little essential tremor that I've had. My grandmother had it. On my mom's side, and she shook like that. And mom, my mom had it until her death. And then I've, I've had it since around age 40. It's called an essential tremor. And a lot of the medications that are for it create, have a lot of side effects. So I just soon live with the tremor than have those side effects. And um, my son has it. I have a nephew that has it real bad. But I used to tease our senior adults before I turned 60. They'd see me. I said, that's what I get for working with senior adults all these many years. You know, just teasing them, just teasing them. Now that I'm on the other side of 70, I understand that, you know, growing old, being a senior adult, it's not for wimps. And like all of us, outwardly, we're wasting away. You live long enough, the body's going to get old. And if you really wanted to be depressed today, read Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Solomon, give, Solomon gives a real stark description about old age, okay? And all his metaphors that he uses there. Outwardly, we're growing old. We're wasting away. But Paul goes on to say, yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. I dare say, for many of the senior adults that are in this worship service this morning, and the younger, the younger you are, you, you, you're not there, you don't think as often about it. But I dare say most of the senior adults in this room, you think a whole lot more about heaven now than you ever have before. And you've been growing spiritually more and more in your lives. That's what Paul is saying. And even though we may waste away outside, no matter what our age, we may be young, midlife, or old, whatever it may be, we may be wasting outwardly, but inwardly. We are growing more and more to be like Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes on what is unseen. Okay, we, we fix our eyes 
not on what is seen, earth and struggles, but on what is unseen, that's heaven. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So in light of the fact of what you're going through, they are light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory. The unseen, heaven, put your thoughts there. These things that we see, this is all temporary anyway. We're preparing for our eternal home. You've heard me say it a time or two already. This is nothing more but the dress rehearsal for the real thing in the presence of God. And we need to turn our hearts toward God to understand that. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 11, he describes all the aspects of his suffering that he went through. He was whipped, he had shipwrecked, went out without food, beaten five times, the scourge, just like Jesus. How was he able to manage all of it? Because it was light. Those afflictions were light, momentary, in comparison to eternity. Again, back to my dot. He understood that what he was experiencing was just a dot compared to all eternity in the presence of God. There was an agnostic professor in a college, and he wanted to convince his students that God didn't exist. So he had the, the, the students to stand and look out the window. He said, do you see the clouds? They said, yes. Do you see the trees? They said, yes. Do you see the grass? They said, yes. Do you see those buildings? They said, yes. Then he said, do you see God? And they shook their heads, no. He said, that's because God doesn't exist. And a very wise and brave and courageous Christian young lady raised her hand and said, Professor, can I ask the class some questions? And he said, yes. He said, class, look at our professor. Do you see his face? Yes. Do you see his hair? Yes. Do you see his shirt? Yes. Do you see his brain? No. Based on his conclusions, then our professor doesn't have a brain either. His brain doesn't exist. Old Testament saints, New Testament believers. They lived with a hope that they were going to see heaven. They died believing they were going to see heaven. They didn't see it with their physical eyes, but they saw heaven through faith. They faith that they believed that God was preparing a place and that one day he would take us to that place. And that's the kind of faith that we have to have. The kind of faith of believing and trusting while we read in God's word that one day it's going to come to pass. Now I want to tell you there may be somebody here they're believing one of two of Satan's lies. One of his lies that he tells unbelievers, he tells them, heaven can wait. You got plenty of time. Heaven can wait. No, 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 no. Tell the people that have died in this pandemic. Tell the people that were in a car accident. They got up in the morning thinking, hey, I'm going to have a great day. They died in an accident. 
or someone that had a heart attack. We can go on and on. Now, heaven can't wait. Life is brief. We don't know when it's going to be over. And the second thing is this. Satan has convinced them that many people are going to heaven. And for whatever reason, they think they're in that many. It's not what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, broad is the road and broad is the gate that leads to destruction. But narrow is the road and narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. And there are few that are on it. God's giving you an opportunity to join that few today. To know that if you were to die, God forbid it would be today, but if you were to die today, you know where you would spend eternity. You would spend it in heaven with God. But it comes by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and surrendering your life to him. That's where it begins. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, thank you. We pray for any in this service who is yet to surrender their life to you. We pray, Father, they will come in repentance, confessing their sin and trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. May this be that day. And Father, give them the courage that even if they don't fully understand that they would seek out after this service or call, make an appointment, seek some godly family members, a friend, and not delay the decision, but come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Begin the wonderful journey of Christian life to live that pure and holy life and that when death, whenever it is as predetermined by you, that they will be ready and they will spend eternity with you. Thank you for what this series is going to do as it helps us just to enlarge our vision and understanding and the blessings you have prepared. Father, because I have not seen and ear has not heard and it's not entered into our minds the things that God has prepared for us. But he, you God, have revealed it to us through your spirit. May these weeks to come, beginning today and the weeks to come, may we be open to your Holy Spirit to teach us more about what heaven is all about. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.